I used to work for Delta Airlines, and uh, before they actually entrusted me to throw your bags around, they sent me to training in Atlanta. And so I flew from Wichita to Atlanta, was there for, I can't remember, seven or eight days. And so we're going through the training process of, of how to be around these giant passenger airlines. We're sitting in classes for hours upon hours, and I worked at a smaller airport at the time, and so they kind of entrusted us. There were a lot of things we did. Uh, and one of the things that uh, they began to, I think it probably was about day five of classes, uh, the instructor turns on a video. And if you don't know about safety airline videos, uh, you're scarred by some of the things you see on these on this VCR. I think it may have been a VHS, maybe. But it was a safety instruction video, and it was not about clicking a buckle uh, or what, finding an exit aisle. This was about how to live and remain alive around these jet engines that can do some massive damage to human beings. I will not entertain your visions of what we saw on that screen, but I was changed by what I saw. I now had an understanding that if I messed around outside around these jets, my life would be over and the plane would go on doing its thing, okay? So when we, I remember sitting in class watching these things, and everyone in that class is having a, a stomach reaction to what we are watching. I remember a guy looking over at me and going, I'm not sure this is the job I really want. Uh, afterwards, there was another guy who was like, well, maybe my girlfriend will love me even more because she knows how dangerous my job really is. I was like, dude, really? Like, that's going to be how you meet the ladies? Hey, I work for Delta. I throw bags, I could die any moment, you know? And so I, 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 don't, I don't understand. But the point is, we had people questioning their career choices after watching this video. We were marked by what we saw. Like I came back and I would swing extra wide around those jet engines, even though you knew technically that they, were pro they weren't gonna suck you in right then, but they could. So why take the chance? I mean, it was interesting because I remember one summer in, in Kansas, it was so hot that when you, that, that exhaust off of those engines was actually cooler than how hot it was on the runway. Like that was crazy. And so everybody was like, this is like air conditioned, but it's 130 degrees. What do you mean? That's like air conditioned. But the point is we saw these images and we were changed by it. Like it changed the way I did things. It changed the way I thought about things. It changed the way I walked. It changed the way I worked. Everything was shifted by these images that I still have in my head to this day. Like I haven't forgotten about these things, even though I don't work for Delta anymore. When was the last time you saw something that changed you? Like, we see the documentaries on television that change the way we organize our life. We've seen the movie that makes you hold your friends a little bit tighter, the television program that opens your eyes to a faraway struggle in some other land. We've seen the 
the car accident as we've driven by it and it shook us. We've attended the funeral of a life taken too soon and we've gone, is this really how I wanna live my life? Like there are things that we see and experience by sight that change the way we live. There are things that we take in right here that for some reason or other make their way not just to here, but to here and then come out in the way we walk and in the way we live. Being marked by something that we have seen. There are moments in this life that we cannot unsee. And some of those sights have marked us so deeply that they transformed how we do what we do and why we do what we do. It was, in the key, it was in this year that King Uzziah died that something like this happened to the Old Testament prophet Isaiah. Isaiah chapter six, starting in verse one, says this. It was in the year King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord. For those of you that may not know about the Old Testament book of Isaiah or the prophet Isaiah, this was a moment in time that was marked by tragedy and change for Isaiah. Not only was there a loss of a friend that he was contemplating, but this actually signified the changing of a season in the life of Israel. Uzziah was a king who had lots of potential. A very young king, around 16 years old, came to power. He followed the Lord. He began listening to him, but it didn't finish that way. Uzziah got proud and was struck with leprosy. And instead of finishing his life out, In the great halls of the king, he died in a leper's house. Isaiah got to watch this disease kill his friend. Now, not only was his friend dying, but his passing was symbolic for what was happening in Israel. Leprosy and disobedience tend to go hand in hand in the Old Testament and and symbolically in the New They eat away at you slowly, they kill you slowly, both of them, if allowed to remain, end in death. While Uzziah reigned, peace and prosperity were allowed in the nation of Israel, in Judah, but at his death, a new season was coming, one of imprisonment and exile. So a very difficult season in Isaiah's life, and it is in this moment of loss and unrest that, go, that Isaiah goes to the temple, he is unaware about what he is about to see, and it is going to change him forever. The Lord chooses to reveal who he is to Isaiah in this state. And this is what it says, Isaiah 6. It was in the year King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord. He was sitting on a lofty throne and the train of his robe filled the temple. Attending him were mighty seraphim, each having six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they flew. They were calling out to each other. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Their voices shook the temple to its foundations and the entire building was filled with Smoke. As bad as things were or could have been in Isaiah's life that day, which they were, we know more about God here than Isaiah's circumstances. 
Isaiah had probably read about the Lord. He'd probably learned about the Lord. He'd probably even spoken on behalf of the Lord. But in this moment, for some reason, the Lord chose to go, Isaiah, you're gonna see who I am. Get ready for this. And it changed Isaiah. His own eyes, his own life, everything that he is had been awed by God. There was a halting moment in Isaiah's life. And I don't know for you, if there have, if you can go back in your journey and in, in, in your faith walk, has there been the moment when you've been awed by God? When you've been halted by him? When you encounter the Lord, something changes and it stops you in your tracks. We have a very small view of God, naturally, because we live in a world that would suggest you're foolish for even considering him. But in Isaiah's unrest, in despair and hurt, the Lord chose to say, you're going to see me for yourself today. Everything seemed to fade at this sight of God. Isaiah was halted, he was awed, and he was stunned. If you and I are going to talk about making disciples and seeing ourselves as sent people, a people who share our faith, here's where it begins. A captured heart. An awed heart. A stunned heart at this God that we claim to walk with, that we claim to know, that we, that we claim to love and want others to also know. There will be no following Jesus if we are not first stunned at what we see, in awe of what we see. Without a captured heart, there will be a going through the motions, there will be a routine, but there will be no desire to lay down our lives so that others might know this good news. It's strange that we even have to beg people to consider making disciples, isn't it? It's weird, right? It's an odd thought. But this is where disciple making happens. It's a captured heart that there is something different about God. He is not like me and he is other. And I have done this thing in my own way of making a God in my image. I'm not awed by me. I need to be awed by something other. Second Samuel chapter 22. For who is God except the Lord? Who but our God is a solid rock. God is my strong fortress, fortress and he makes my way perfect. Is this the way you see him? Or are you looking at an image of yourself? We're not awed by ourselves. We are awed by a real vision of who God is. Psalm 24, one says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all its people belong to him. Are you seeing God? Or have you created an image of him that looks a lot like you? Isaiah 42, he says, these, these are the words of the Lord. I am the Lord. That is my name. I will not give my glory to anyone else, nor share my praise with carved idols. Are you seeing the Lord or are you seeing a version of yourself? 
Maybe our rejection of this call to make disciples, to share our faith, to share God's story is from having never really seen this God. We've seen church. I bet you have. I bet you've seen church. Every single one of us has a story where we've seen how the church has done somebody wrong. We've seen this. We've seen information. We have access to more podcasts, more YouTube channels on spiritual formation and sermon content and studies and Bible studies. We can Amazon it. We can Kindle it. We can do all of these things, but we're still not making disciples. We've seen the church. We've seen information. but Maybe we've never encountered the Lord to our core and been awed by him. This is what happened to Isaiah. Jesus actually faults the religious leaders of the day with these words. Matthew 22 says, Jesus replied, your mistake is that you don't know the scriptures and you don't know the power of God. These were the ones who were supposed to know it all. These were the ones who were running the places of worship. These were the ones who sat around all day and debated and debated and debated and interpreted and interpreted and interpreted. And Jesus is like, you don't know the scriptures and you don't know the power of God. See, we've seen church, we've seen information, but like Isaiah, have we seen the Lord? When you are halted by that, something naturally begins to start flowing out of our lives. In America, we are awed by the new restaurant. We are awed by sharing videos of things on Facebook. Like the number of times I see a cat video shared that says, this is amazing. I'm baffled by it. Like whenever we post a video and we just put this, period. We're being awed by whatever it is we have just taken in. We see a movie and we say, that was amazing. But of God, we simply walk away thinking of what's for lunch. It's what we do. It's the routine. It's the pattern. It's how we live when we have not been awed and halted and stunned by God. Have we, like Moses, begged? Exodus 33, Moses responded, then show me your glorious presence. If you are God, I have to see you. I have to know that you'll be with me. I have to know that you're all powerful. I have to know that you go, you care anything about me. I, I have to know that you're all these things because I have, I live in a world and I live in a culture and I have a mindset of my own that would say, nah, there's better things. There's better things in the presence of God. I need you to show me that in your presence, all of life, Everything that is real shows up. I need to see you. I know there's a reason we don't ask this. It's because when we see him, we're marked by what we see. And there is no going back. 
In Isaiah chapter six, continuing verse five, Isaiah's response to being awed by God is that it's over. He says, then I said, it's all over. I am doomed for I am a sinful man. I have filthy lips and I live among a people with filthy lips. Yet I have seen the king, the Lord of heaven's armies. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal he had taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. He touched my lips with it and said, see this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed and your sins are forgiven. The most common response to a vision of who God is all through scripture is not, Lord, wash over me with your grace. It is a collapsing on the ground as dead. I'm not asking for any more because I can't handle all that you are, God. So please, no more waves. No more, no more washing. No more raining down on me. I can't handle it. I can't live here right now. So please just stop. But what the Lord does in this moment of undoneness, this moment of undoneness, the shocking result isn't so much the way Isaiah responds. It's actually how God chooses to respond in this moment. What Isaiah was halted by, amazed by, and stunned by, it humbled him. And it, it gave him permission to confess. It gave him permission to go, there's something not right with you and I being in the same place at the same time, God. I don't understand it, but I just feel like I shouldn't be here because you're here. I should be moving on. You're here. You do your thing. I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. You know, and it, this, is this, this is one of those moments where because of who God is, because of who Isaiah is, there was a shared, I shouldn't be here. I don't know that I need to, I don't even know if I can live in this place. I can't, I can't go on. I'm doomed. I'm, I'm finished because of who you are. Isaiah confessed, but he didn't just go, oh God, all the people around me are so filthy. That's why you're going to drop me dead too. No, Isaiah said, I am a man of unclean lips. And I... And I live among people who are just like me. God, how and what, why, why would you even let us continue going? This unclean lips didn't mean Isaiah had a cussing problem. I want to make sure we're clear here. But our words, what we say, what passes over our lips comes from here and comes from here. And what is coming out of our mouth is reflective of what's hiding in our heart and what's hiding in our head and typically is reflective of our actions. The way we speak also defines how we live. Isaiah was speaking not just about unclean lips, meaning just his words, but he was saying his heart, his inward desires and his outward pursuits, all of them were selfishly based. And he was able to acknowledge all of his impurity because he was in the presence of complete and total purity. And the response that Isaiah thought should come was one of death. He owned his sins. But God's response to Isaiah's confession is what changes everything. 
If you missed it, verse 6 says this, Then, after Isaiah has confessed his doom, the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal he had taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. He touched my lips with it and said, See? See? Like, pay attention. Don't miss this. See what's happening here. You have one thought that you're in my presence. You should be dead. See what's happening here? Something different is happening right now. Don't miss this. Don't skip it. Don't prep for lunch. Here's what's going to happen. And we read, this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed and your sins are forgiven. See, see it with your own eyes. You thought one thing, doom. I brought something else. You thought you were dead. I just brought you to life. See, your guilt has been removed. At first sight, I'm assuming Isaiah sees this giant creature with a fireball coming straight at him. He's got to be thinking, I don't know too many people that have been smoted, but I myself am going to be one of them. The Lord is literally taking me out with a fireball, crushed by fire. But in fact, the exact opposite happened. He was not crushed. He was about to be set free. Notice again, with his eyes, the Lord says to Isaiah, see that your guilt has been removed. All of your rebellion, all of your fist waving in the air towards me, all of your selfish pursuits, I have dealt with them. Now, have you seen this coal touch your lips? Have you seen the cross in this way? God did not demand Isaiah, hey, you come up here. Make your way up here. Get up here. Let's clean you up. If you can get up here, we'll talk. The coal came to Isaiah. And in the same way, Jesus came to us. What was needed most, God made available by coming to us. We are not a a group of people jumping through hoops, trying to impress the Lord, getting to him so that we can be forgiven. We are a people who have run the other direction. We are a people who wouldn't even care if given the opportunity. He made the first Step. Listen to Paul's words in Colossians 2. You were dead because of your sins. Dead people can't even make attempts to bring themselves to life. Do you know that? We can't. We just can't do it. We're not motivated because we're dead. Like, there's no motivation because we're dead. Colossians 2. You were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ. For he forgave all our sins. He canceled the record of charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. I love that Jesus would be the one to pull back the curtain on all the thoughts and philosophies and ideas of the world and go, I just want you to know how empty they are. See it? See it? 
And the way you see it is by seeing his full power, strength, mercy, grace, love on the cross. That's when we understand when Jesus pulls it back and goes, I just want you to know how pathetic the ideas and the identities the world may try and put on you are. I've changed it. I've canceled the record of sin against you. All the labels the world may have thrown on you, all the labels you have made, you might have thrown on yourself. You need to know how powerless they are. Because we often think things are very powerful when they're actually not. Because we have a vision of a God who is all powerful. The enemy of God is a liar. And he would love to come up around you and say, don't you follow Jesus too closely. You wouldn't want your past to get all over Jesus and cause a mess. So don't you follow him too closely. The things you've done, the things you've been a part of, what you've given yourself to, the rebellion, don't you, don't you follow him too closely because you don't wanna get your mess on Jesus. And this is when you and I must be able to say, see Jason? See, your guilt has been removed. Your sins have been forgiven. This is why we need a vision of God that is bigger and better and grander and greater than the little version of God that we like to make in our image. You and I will not be able to carry or sustain the call to go and make disciples if we have a small view of God And more often than not, we are so quick to believe the enemy's lies because we don't believe God is powerful. Namely, that he can cleanse us of our guilt and forgive us of our sin, which he has done. Every I am doomed, every woe is me place in your life and in my life, God has dealt with it on the cross. God has covered it. He saw to it that you and I might stand blameless and holy in his presence. Listen to Colossians 1. Listen to these words. This includes you who were once far away from God. You were his enemy, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. There's our unclean lips, just again being referenced to. Verse 22, yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. I don't know if you guys believe that or not. And it's not humility. I want you to know that to go, I'm not holy and blameless. That's not humility, that's pride. That's you going, God, I don't think you're big enough or strong enough to bring me into your own presence and make me holy and blameless. So please do not hear the voice of, well, you're, you're much more humble because you don't necessarily think that God could actually make you holy and blameless. Folks, that's identity. And as long as we reject the identity that God has spoken over us, we will go everywhere else to find it. This is the view of God we must have to walk in the way he's called us to walk. The good news isn't something that we take or leave or pick up or put down, but just like that coal touched Isaiah's lips, we are marked by it. 
this vision of God who would change everything. As we were talking earlier, this is Palm Sunday, and the day that we celebrate Jesus's triumphant entry in, like he's riding in on a donkey. He's not riding in on a war horse, a battle horse. He's not riding in on this steed that makes everyone go, whoa, that guy's a king. The vision we are given of Jesus is one of bringing peace. Jesus rides in on a donkey, not a war horse, and that was so intentional. War horse meaning conquering, a donkey meaning a peace offering. God came to make peace with a rebellious people. And he did it through his own life, death, and resurrection. For us, you and I, truly encountering God, it halts us, it marks us, but there is one more result of seeing God for who he is. And we cannot ignore this result. In Isaiah chapter six, verse eight, he says these words. Isaiah's recalling, he says, then I heard the Lord asking, Whom should I send as a messenger to this people? Who will go for us? I said, here I am. Let me do it. Here I am. Let me do it. I'll go. I'll I'll, I'll tell people stuff. Isaiah had no clue what the Lord was about to ask of him, but he just said, because I have, been see- I have seen the Lord, I've been marked by it, I'll go. I don't even know what that means, but, but I, I, have, I see you, and that's enough. I have heard some say that the Christian message is never, never fully ours until we've shared it with someone else. And I know we live in a day and an age that lives to to believe that if we share our faith with someone else in hopes that they will one day believe in the Jesus that we proclaim, that it's wrong. I believe in the church, we've actually accepted that thought process too. Like if God is all powerful and he is the one our hearts were made for, we have bought into the lie that somehow if I share that with someone else in, in hopes and in desperation that their hearts would come to life too, somehow I'm in the wrong. Guys, you cannot bite that apple. That is poison that would suggest, well, they're probably fine. It's the enemy's voice. I hear that all the time. They're probably fine if their hearts have not come to life in hearing of this God who made them, who knows them, who's longed for them to know him and to love him because their hearts come to life when they do, our culture will say, how dare you? Our culture will also say that if, it's some, if their lives seem to be working, then why does it matter what we share with them? Because all of eternity matters on what they do with Jesus. See, if you and I were to say, God, you know what? No thanks. 
I'll take all the judgment that Jesus took on the cross. I'll take it on myself. Do you know we'll have that opportunity, correct? Hell is not the absence of God. It's not being separated from God. It is actually experiencing none of the blessings of God, but all of the wrath and judgment that was poured out on Jesus will be experienced by those who say, I'll take it on myself. The announcement is one of great news that that judgment and that wrath has been taken on by another. And I don't have to walk in fear or doubt or question because I know it's been paid for in Christ. When we refuse to see ourselves as sent, what is probably most dangerous for the church is that we reject Jesus's call and we disobey his words. Matthew 28 says this, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, I love the therefore, because it's not on your authority. It's not on my authority. It's not on partial authority. It's on all authority, having been given to Jesus. Go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you and be sure of this. I'm with you. I'm with you until the end of the age. Sandwiched between two of the most life-changing visions of God. First, all authority. Second, I'm with you. Like, it's not just this big, awesome, powerful God who's like, I want everyone to go on my behalf. No, Jesus is saying, I'm going to go with you in the midst of all that you are going to attempt to do. I know you live in Asheville. It's hard. I know you live among people who could care less about me. I know you live in a city that boasts to be the cesspool of sin. I sent you there. Here's the deal. I have authority and I'm with you. Vision of God changes everything about how we see ourselves. The disciple is not stirred to go because we see all the great needs around us. While some of us do need to open our eyes and see that there are needs around us, I want you to know that just because you see needs, that is not enough to go and make disciples. Being aware of how dark things might be is not enough to go and make disciples. Being someone who goes, I just, I see all the needs, so therefore I should go and make disciples. It's not going to fuel you. I promise. It will become overwhelming and it will become too hard. I look around and I question all the things that I'm doing and how do I do these things and all the stuff that the Lord wants to do. I'm like, I don't even know how to do this. I see all these great needs. I see all these great needs. And the Lord is like, stop looking at all the needs and look at me. Our vision of who God is fuels, motivates, and changes why we see ourselves as sent. While, while seeing the needs are important, it will not sustain our going. In fact, seeing the needs only and not God could actually change the motivation as to why we do what we do. We'll become selfish you know, it's that thing where you like, you do that kind thing and it makes you feel real good, right? Like, I gave to this, I volunteered here, 
and we become like selfish for those good feelings. Your motivations can be transformed by only looking at the needs. But when we see the Lord for who he is and we know he doesn't share his glory and it's all him and it's all about him, we're just like, Lord, send me wherever. You're all powerful, I'm not. You're all wise, I'm not. You know the end from the beginning, I don't. Please just be with me like Jesus said he would be. All authority given to him. As we close this morning and we spend time in communion and in worship, Isaiah did not know the difficulty of the task the Lord was going to ask of him. He did not know how long it would take. He did not know what he was, where he was going or what he was going to have to say. He knew none of those things, but at his vision of God, at being marked by God, he said, I will go. Friends, if you don't sense a heart connect to share Christ with others, you don't need a closer look at the culture. You don't. You don't need to become a better student of the darkness or the needs or the hurt around you. You need a greater vision of God. You need a closer look at Jesus. Because I'm telling you, encountering the living God produces in us a love for others. Always. So it makes me ask the question, when the church operates selfishly, it begs, who are we looking at? If we have no concern for other people knowing Christ, that they might know him and trust him and see that he's good and see that he has laid down his life and that he is alive. Like if there's no concern for that, my question is, who are we looking at? see yourself as sent, you're not looking at yourself. You're looking at the living God. Thankfully, every time we open up the scripture together, we catch a view of this God. Hebrews chapter one says this of Jesus, the son radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. And he sustains everything by the mighty power of his command. When he had cleansed us from our sins, he sat down in the place of honor at the right hand of the majestic God in heaven. The struggle in America for us is we are rarely awed by God. We are a thumbs up, thumbs down society. That's what we like to do. We don't get involved. We voice our opinion. We voice our negative opinion and we move on. Oh, but we love grace. We do love grace. God, give me my grace. Give me my grace to be sent. I don't necessarily know if I'm down with that. As long as I have my grace, cool. This is not, not how a person who has encountered the Lord responds. If selfishness is our response to the selflessness of God, then who are we looking at? Going and making disciples is a result of seeing this God with all his authority being with us and having done it fully in Christ on the cross. There is a good chance that until you've encountered this God, 
you will see this as the okayest news, but not the good news. It'll be meh news. It won't be good news. And it's when you see him though, high and lifted up, your heart begins to explode for the world around you. You just begin to think and walk and live differently. God, you don't even have to ask. I'm yours. I'm headed to them. They don't know what they're doing. They haven't seen you. They don't know who Jesus is. They don't know what he's done. They don't know why they're here. They're still searching. They're shoving everything that they possibly can into their lives. They need to see you. And I want to be a part of helping them see that. Please just let me go. Well, what do you do there? I don't know. How long are you going to be gone? I don't know. What do you say? I don't even know. It's going to be tough though, right? Are you kidding me? Who's God? It's going to be tough to minister into this, in this city. Are you kidding me? Who is the God that we serve? A God who's like bound by, by our, our, our difficulty? Oh man, yeah, you're right. It is really tough in Asheville. Well, didn't see that coming. But this is the way we walk. But if he is the God who has been given, who has all authority over all things, and he's with us, then why would we not go? This is the invitation this morning. It's the invitation actually every Sunday. It's to take here, out there. It's to desire and long for those that you work, live, and play with to know that Christ reigns to know that their hearts were not just made to hang out in creation, but they were made for their creator. And we are not alive unless we are in that relationship. So as Isaiah was willing to go, are we? Will worship be the fuel that sends us? Our vision of this God not our vision of the needs around us, not our vision of the darkness, not our vision of how hard it is, but our vision is of who God is, what he's done, he's marked us, and he sent us. We will go.